Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. The section of Scripture we're going to cover is Numbers chapters 3 through 10. But open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 6. And it is so good to be with you this morning, church. Good to be back. Grateful for you. And thank you so much for all your well-wishing. As my family and I just got back from vacation, we had a great time. Very refreshing. And uh, so thankful for that time away. But glad to be here together with you, worshiping this morning. The title of the message this morning is Exalting, Proclaiming, Enjoying Jesus Christ in the book of Numbers. Um, I'm so thankful for uh, Josh and Ethan and Jason over the last three weeks uh, preaching our church motto, Exalting, Proclaiming, Enjoying Jesus Christ the way that they did. They were a blessing to us, weren't they? And I'm so thankful for our church motto. I'm so thankful for the the emphasis on Jesus Christ that we want to exalt him, we want to proclaim him, and we want to enjoy him. And if you note this, exalting Christ is an upward orientation. Proclaiming Christ is an outward orientation. So one's vertical, one's horizontal and outward. One's upward, one's outward. And then enjoying Jesus Christ is really important as well. It's inward. We want to, as a people, enjoy Jesus Christ and what He's done in our lives. And so, Numbers chapter 6, I want to hone in on this blessing here in verses 22 through 27. As a focal point of chapters 3 through 10, let's read God's word together in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this section of Scripture. We thank you for this series, Seeing Christ in all of Scripture. And Father, as we look at exalting, proclaiming, and enjoying Jesus Christ, your Son, this morning in this beautiful section of Scripture in the book of Numbers, I pray that you would move us and motivate us. You would transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit and help us to love your Son even more. And we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here together today to hear your word preached. Touch our hearts with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Speaking of the word of God, church, uh, the uh, September 2018 Bible reading plan for the church 
Uh, hard copies are available in the back at the information table. Um, hope you're enjoying this as much as I've been. Um, in taking the scriptures and, and reading God's word on a daily basis is, is really just vital in terms of just growing in our grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, no matter where you're at in your personal devotional life, it might be a season where it's been very good and strong. It might be a season where it's been weak. Uh, don't stumble over if, if it's been weak over the last season. Pick up and engage afresh. And just the Lord will bless stepping toward his word and will ignite fresh fire into your soul as we study the scriptures. Amen. And so the Bible reading plan is available in the back for you. And we do have a daily devotional on our church Facebook page. And uh, please make note of that and enjoy that and interact with that. I'm really loving doing that together with you all. Well, this this section here, it's actually Numbers chapter 2, because we covered Numbers chapter 1 in our first sermon on the book of Numbers uh, a number of weeks back. But in Numbers chapter 2 through, uh, chapters 2 through 10, what we see is a uh, description, really, of the Israelites in the wilderness. I mentioned uh, in the first sermon that the book of Numbers, um, in the original Hebrew, the name for it is Bamidbar. The Hebrew word for the book of Numbers is Bamidmar, which means in the wilderness. This is covering the 40-year span that the Israelites were wandering together in the wilderness. And in Numbers chapter 2, we read that the people of God, there was a census that was taken. And in Numbers chapter 2, you can follow along with me because we'll be flying through 2 through 10 throughout this sermon and going to different sections. And I'll be honing in on just different passages throughout. But in Numbers chapter 2, verse 46, we read that the census revealed that there were 603,550 men ready for war amongst the people of Israel in the wilderness and in the wilderness wanderings over 40 years. And this is about 2 to 3 million people camping for 40 years in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Uh, one of the things that my family and I did um, over vacation was we went camping down at Assateague Island in Maryland where the wild horses are. We never did this before, but it was really cool. Um, but when you're setting up a tent and you're, you're kind of setting it up in sunshine, you're not expecting necessarily big rainstorms, but that's what we got. And thank goodness Shannon got us a, a tent that really holds up well in the weather. Um, but there was a group of guys who uh, set up a tent the night before, and and uh, the next day we just saw all their clothes laid out, just trying to dry as it rained throughout the night. Um, and some of you who've had that experience you know what that's like. Um, the tent didn't hold for these poor individuals, and it was frustrating for them. They were in the elements. They were uncomfortable. Um, this dynamic of just being out in the wilderness was an unsettled place for the people of Israel. And it wasn't just for a couple of days. It was of enjoyment. It was really 40 years in the wilderness, amongst the elements, amongst the weather, and experiencing need, and need for God's provision. One of the things on Assateague Island, as I mentioned a moment ago, there are wild horses. And uh, in the midst of the first night, there was a lightning storm. And, and all, Shannon and the kids were all asleep. And 
after the lightning struck, I heard this loud neighing. Um, and, you know, I'm not used to hearing that sound in the middle of the night. And so it was kind of freaky, you know, to hear a horse, a wild horse neigh. And so I, I kind of popped up and I was looking around outside the tent. And all of a sudden, I just saw this person running really fast away. And I was like, my goodness, who's running like that? It must be scared of something. And uh, sure enough, they were because there were two wild horses running at a full gallop right past them. And then they flew about just 20 feet, really, from our tent. And I could hear the the, the rumble of the horses running by. And uh, our dog, uh, Hope, kind of woke up and barked. But... Uh, Shannon and the kids didn't wake up. They were sound asleep. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm awake now. <laughs> These horses running by, it was pretty crazy. But there's an element of just feeling unprotected, you know, in a tent. Had those horses come through the tent, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. Um, but you're unprotected. You're out in the open. Uh, there's no walls to keep out enemies. Um, the Israelites were on the move. There was this promise of permanence into the future, but they were in an unsettled place. They were sojourners on a pilgrimage to the promised land. The reason this is important to keep mentioning is this is a direct parallel, brothers and sisters, to where we are at right now, spiritually speaking, as we are on our wilderness wandering journey on the way to the new heavens and new earth where we will one day be as well in heaven after we go to be with the Lord. But for right now, as the book of Hebrews says, we are sojourners. We are pilgrims called to make progress. And this image of being in the wilderness, of not being settled, is where we are at right now awaiting heaven. And so there's a lot of instruction and application that we can take from the book of Numbers into our Christian lives today. Though written to the people of Israel and directly applicable to them, it also has great parallels to us in our Christian lives, and I hope is a great blessing to you as it has been to me as I've been studying it. We're going to look at three points this morning. Number one, exalting Christ by guarding proclaiming Christ by giving, and third, enjoying Christ by gathering. Exalting Christ by guarding, proclaiming Christ by giving, and enjoying Christ by gathering. And honing in first on this responsibility of guarding, this exalting Christ by guarding, I want to mention first that There's responsibilities here given by the Lord to the Levites that are described here in Numbers 3. And I'm going to elaborate on those a little little bit more fully in a moment. But as we do that, Numbers chapter 6 talks about God's saving grace in our lives. And that promise and this blessing that I read in the very beginning, in the opening. If you see in Numbers chapter 6, the Word of God actually talks about the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's talking about God's pronouncement of blessing in terms of salvation over the people of Israel and God's sovereign, gracious choice of the people of Israel 
to be his people, that God's face, his benevolent face of favor and of grace is shining upon his people. And that's you as well, brothers and sisters, those of you who have trusted in Christ and have made him Lord of your life, the Lord's face is shining upon you. And as Joshua read this morning in the, at the ministry mic, God's steadfast love will never be removed from you. His benevolent face shining upon you, His saving grace is yours and will never be taken away from you. I want you to be encouraged about that. The promise also says in verse 26, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. The first blessing of face to shine is talking about a general salvation blessing to the whole people of Israel. The second, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you, is talking about God's personal love for you and His personal provision. His sustaining grace, taking care of all of your needs, both salvific and also material, the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. I'm going to elaborate more on this wonderful section in the upcoming weeks, but suffice it to say, the responsibility of of guarding that we're going to look at here, it flows up and out from the platform of God's saving and sustaining grace that is ours in Christ. And so as we look at the responsibilities that are laid out for the people of God in this section of Scripture. Do not forget the blessing of God, the salvific blessing of God in the background revealed in Numbers chapter 6. The first is exalting Christ by guarding. And for that, I want you to look at Numbers chapter 3 and the duties of the Levites, beginning in verse 5. It actually says, In verse 9, if you read there with me, you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. So the Levites weren't priests, but they were sort of assistants to the priests. And it says in verse 10, you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. And then later on, it actually says that the Levites themselves are given charge to guard the tabernacle. There's this ministry of guarding that is mentioned throughout Numbers chapter 3 that I want to highlight here as an important responsibility for the people of God. The word guard is used of the Levites for what they needed to do in relation to the tabernacle. The Levites were to guard the house of the Lord faithfully. And listen to what they were to guard in verse 7. It actually says, You shall keep guard, they shall keep guard over him and the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard the furnishings of the tent of meeting and they will guard the people of Israel as they minister to the tabernacle. So they were to guard the people, they were to guard the priests, they were to guard the utensils in the tabernacle, they were to guard the Ark of the Covenant. They were to guard the priesthood. They were to guard the sanctuary itself. And they were to guard it from outsiders coming in because God is holy. And any outsider who comes in 
the Word of God says they were to be put to death because God is holy. And in the background of all this, you see the holiness of God. It creates this distance to where the tabernacle representing the presence of God amongst the people of God, which was in the direct center of camp, couldn't just be just approached casually. It wasn't like you could just kind of walk in the doors of the tabernacle. It was guarded for a reason. It was holy, and everything within it was holy, and there were different chambers and sections of the most holy place and the holy place where curtains separated degrees of holiness that represented the presence of God. You don't come lightly into the presence of God. And what marks this entire section is that there's this this distance between God's holiness and His creatures that you cannot just come right in. Even the people of God could not come right in. In fact, in Numbers chapter 4, one of the tribes of the Levites is actually admonished. It says in uh, Numbers 4 verse 20, that they shall not go in to look on the holy things even for a moment, lest they die. This is talking to one of the branches of the Levites, that if they weren't assigned to guard that particular section, and they presumed upon God, and went and looked in on it anyway, they would be cut down. Again, the sense of distance representing the holiness of God is captured And you can't help but contrast it, brothers and sisters, and let it motivate and inspire you when you read the book of Hebrews, when the Word of God says, now we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of the Lamb. Distance has now been replaced with nearness. The fact that you can draw near is a massive concept in the Scriptures that the blood of Christ has enabled you and I now, those of us who have believed, to be able to draw near. To draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Isn't that such good news? But this aspect of guarding and this aspect of of separation between the holiness of God and the people of God It's meant to capture our attention and it's meant to cause us to recognize that there's a responsibility to guard both the the Ark of the Covenant and also all the utensils in the tabernacle to guard the people of God, also to guard the Word of God, which was contained within the Ark of the Covenant of God. There's a guarding principle, a protecting principle that needs to stand out to us. And one of the ways that we exalt Jesus Christ is by guarding the Word of God. And in the New Covenant, this concept is picked up in 2 Timothy chapter 1 by the Apostle Paul when he says to Timothy, Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Talking about the Gospel. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it. 
Paul admonishes Timothy that one of his responsibilities is to guard the gospel. To follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Brothers and sisters, by way of application of this principle of guarding, we must all keep the gospel as the matter of first importance, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes to us. And we must follow the example of Paul who decided to know nothing amongst the Corinthian church except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This means that the gospel is to be central in everything that we do and teach as a local church. It's meant to be central in our lives, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our homes. And we must guard it that it remains so. We must teach it clearly and boldly, never tiring of the gospel, because it is the good deposit entrusted to our care. The Ark of the Covenant contained the Word of God, the Ten Commandments, within the tabernacle and in the most holy place. And it was a sacred trust for the Levites to be given charge of guarding it. And believing the priesthood of all believers in the New Covenant, may God find all of us, brothers and sisters, guarding the sound doctrine of the Gospel that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and on the third day He was raised in accordance with the Scriptures as 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6 talks about. May we guard the sound doctrine of the Gospel. May we hold fast to the authority and the inerrancy of the Word of God and may we do all in our power to protect that truth and to stand for it in our day where it's very common, even for many professing believers, to let go of it. Christ and His finished work on the cross for us is to be treasured and prized and guarded as the doctrine of first importance. May it be so in the church, and may it be so in our hearts today. I want to mention this to you because this is a truth we emphasize often, but it's important to listen to it and never get tired of hearing it. We are not gospel-centered here at Christ Community Church because it is popular for churches in 2018 to be gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered in all we do because God's Word says for us to be so. And this must be guarded by all of us. It is our collective responsibility to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. To guard it in our counsel to one another. That we counsel the gospel to one another and remind each other of the saving and sustaining grace of God revealed in Numbers chapter 6. Let us never tire of reminding each other of God's love for us evidenced in the gospel of grace and uplift one another and encourage one another with the pattern of sound words. It's important to note this. There is a pattern of sound words that we are to use and embrace and hold fast to, and there are unsound words that we are to reject and not follow, which are false to the gospel. And so 
sound doctrine is so important. Understanding the gospel rightly is so, so very important. And if we hold fast to it and guard it well, we will exalt Jesus Christ in our midst. The tabernacle here in the book of Numbers was brand new. But when you see it in the center of camp every day for 40 years, there can be a temptation to start to take holy things for granted. The Levites guarding it elevated the tabernacle, elevated the word of God within the tabernacle that they're guarding protected. And it helped everyone to be reminded that the tabernacle which symbolized the presence of God amongst the people of God was special. That though it was familiar, it was never common. It was holy. And though it was old, it was to be guarded. And kept safe. In our culture today, brothers and sisters, what is old is often not treasured. What is old can be tired of very quickly. If our phone is a little outdated in our culture, the culture screams that you need the newest model out this year, or you don't have what is essential. (laughs) What is old can often be denigrated in favor of what is newer. Though the gospel is old, it is ever fresh. And it is ever the power of God unto salvation. And like the tabernacle was in the center of camp, it must remain in the center of our lives and our doctrine, the gospel of grace. Our attention and our focus must be on Christ. So in summary to this point, exalting Christ by guarding the gospel I want to highlight this one illustration. My family and I went to the National Archives down in Washington, D.C. a while back. And maybe some of you have visited there. If you haven't visited it, visit it. It's a fascinating place. It's really cool. When you go into the National Archives, the real document that everybody wants to see is they have a copy of the original Declaration of Independence in the National Archives. It is guarded. It is protected behind thick glass. The lights are dimmed down. There is no flash photography allowed because they are seeking to preserve something precious the Declaration of Independence. I remember walking past it and looking down. And of course, you know, you always ever just see a copy of it when you're in school growing up and looking down and seeing the original copy and actually seeing John Adams' signature. That was just so cool. 
And John Hancock's big signature was just so wonderful. And Benjamin Franklin's signature on the Constitution and on the Declaration of Independence, it was just really wonderful to see these archive documents protected. They've been protected because they've been guarded through the years, and they are being guarded even right now in the National Archives. You can't just walk right up to it and pick up the Declaration of Independence and start kind of looking at it, making a paper airplane out of it and chucking it around the room. It's a special, special thing. I believe that's the type of imagery that Scripture wants us to get in our mind when it comes to the gospel of God's grace. When we talk about the truth, the pattern of sound words, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that phrase, though it's very familiar, brothers and sisters, is not common. We have to guard our own hearts that the precious truth that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures never becomes commonplace in our hearts. We want to protect it behind glass. We want to hold it as most sacred in our hearts and let nothing come in and alter it in any way. We want to shine a special light down on it and separate it out from all the other content that we get in this world and make sure that what is preeminent in our minds, preeminent in our fellowship, preeminent from this pulpit, is that the gospel is guarded because it has been entrusted to our care. Think about this. The good deposit The gospel of grace, the pattern of sound words, has been entrusted to our care. Christ community, it affects me to think about this. But those Christians who do not guard the gospel are in danger of losing it into the next generation. There's a reason I'm so passionate about this. I am burdened, and I know you are as well. I don't want to just see a clear gospel witness flowing out from this pulpit and flowing out from the congregation that is this beloved church in 2018. I want to see a clear gospel message if God gives us grace together to guard it well in 2058. And in 2118, and all the way, if the Lord would grant it, till Jesus comes back. And though it is the case that God is the one who ultimately guards His gospel and protects it and keeps it, He calls His people to guard holy things. That's what we learn here about the Levites being charged to guard. Is that there is a responsibility amongst the people of God. They are given charge to guard the household of God. To guard the Word of God. 
and to hold fast to the pattern of sound words and to guard the good deposit that is entrusted to our care. How do we guard it? Well, certainly John and I as elders of the church have a responsibility to guard the gospel in relation to keeping the matter of first importance, the matter of first importance within the life and doctrine of our church. And to never tire of reminding you of the grace of God in Christ and how He loved you so much that He died for you on the cross, to die on the cross for your sins and to become sin in your place, to die as a substitute on the cross and receive in His body the wrath that you and I deserve for our sins. To be our substitutionary atoning sacrifice. A wrath absorbing sacrifice for those who believe. And not only did he die, but he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised to new life. Jesus is no longer in the grave, he's alive. And we celebrate that truth here in this church. We keep the gospel central. Because God calls it the matter of first importance. Even if it ever fades to be popular. To no longer say gospel-centered is cool within the evangelical broader body of Christ. By God's grace, let us pray. And you have John and I, our commitment to make sure that the gospel remains the matter of first importance. And the doctrine of the gospel and the doctrine of God remain big and central and that we would be God-centered and not man-centered. That is a passion that we share and we guard it jealously because the Lord calls us to do so. But how do you guard it? brothers and sisters. You guard it by keeping the truth of Christ dying on the cross for your sins of first importance in your heart and in your home. You have a responsibility in application to this point. And so do I. To guard the focus of your family. And to make sure that the focus that you place, the spirit of your household, focuses in on the pattern of sound words that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and on the third day He was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. That is a responsibility for us as pastors. And that is a responsibility for you as a congregation to make sure that the matter of first importance remains the matter of first importance in your heart and in your home. This is such an important point. I don't want to fly by it because application is so important to our lives. It is possible to know the gospel in your head and not be functioning in it 
moment by moment in your daily life. It is very possible, rather than to be focused on God's saving grace and how He has loved you and has given Himself for you by sending His Son to die on the cross for your sins, it is possible, brothers and sisters, to be focused on and passionate about other things more than you are the gospel of grace. I find the temptation in my own Christian life to be very aware of the circumstances in my life that are challenging and difficult and to be more mindful of those things, talking about those things than I am talking about God and talking about His precious gospel of grace. Think of the difference that it would make in our everyday lives, Christ Community Church, if each one of us applied just this one point of guarding the gospel by making the gospel of grace more of a focus of conversation, more of an object of prayer in our own personal lives and in our own homes by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the reasons why we suffer so much discouragement is because Satan is trying to take our eyes off of the Gospel and the Word of God and cause us to focus on our circumstances in our life to our detriment. I was confessing to Shannon just this past week that one of the things that I'm so convicted of, church, is I can be so much in my own head. Can you relate to me? And what's up here sometimes is just not good. What I spin around and ruminate on and meditate on and muse over and ponder and brood over often is not the gospel of grace. I am more aware of my troubles and my trials and my anxieties and my circumstances. I am more aware of those things. And all the while, God is saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. In the Gospels, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is so much in this sermon that I wanted to hit. But I believe that just in closing today, it would be more fitting to look at the end of Numbers chapter 10 and this section of Scripture and to be reminded of just God's amazing presence amongst His people And to see His protection over them 
and His keeping grace. At the end of Numbers 10, Israel is about ready to leave Mount Sinai after being there for about a year. And Moses says in verse 29, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us. And we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. Let us remember that God has promised good to us, church. He has given us His very Son. He loves us with a steadfast and an everlasting love. And it says in verse 33, look there with me. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey. Look at this. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. There were so many phrases throughout this section that I had them all written down. I got tons of notes here and wanted to highlight so many different things. But I was captured by this idea of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which represents the the mercy seat and the atoning sacrifice, which later comes into full fruition with the work of Christ and His finished work on the cross. It contains the Word of God within it, and, and it's put within the inner sanctum of the temple, which symbolizes the presence of God amongst the people of God. And the, the cloud of God dwelt up over the, 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 the tabernacle and would come and rest upon it. And when the people of God were to set out, the cloud would arise and then go forward, and the tabernacle would then move forward. The Ark of the Covenant would then move forward, leading the people of God cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. What must that have been like? And to contemplate that the actual presence of God now dwells within our hearts, brothers and sisters, what a privilege, what a blessing to be actually called the temple or the tabernacle of God ourselves within our bodies. The the holy God and His distance and separation that was necessary lest we die has brought us near by the blood of Christ and now dwells within our hearts through faith. The privileges that we enjoy as a Christian, the love by which we are loved with, think of the difference this can make in our daily lives if we will but ponder it and guard it Guarded in our church, guarded in our individual hearts and in our thought life, guarded amongst our families and remind our kids and remind our grandkids and remind our spouse and everyone around us at work and everybody who is with earshot that God is a loving God who sent his son to die on the cross for sinners and that anyone who repents and believes will not perish but have eternal life. They will have rest. And though you and I are in these wilderness wanderings, that's just for a little while, church. 
though we suffer here, know that just as the Israelites experienced the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord going out before them, seeking a place to give the people of Israel rest, Christ has come and died on the cross and rose again to give His people rest. Peace. Shalom over you, my dear brothers and sisters. Let us close in prayer asking for God to give all of us grace to keep this good news precious and special and guard it as the matter of first importance in our thought life, in our family life, in our care group and fellowship life, in our pulpit. Let's ask for that blessing to be ours in Christ. And let us ponder the difference that it will make if we meditate more fully on the great love of God for us in Christ more regularly and get out of our heads and go upward to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we ponder exalting, proclaiming, and enjoying You, we just want to thank You so much for sending Your Son to die. We are so blessed and so moved, so grateful for what You've done. We're so amazed that You would have died for sinners like us. Lord, who are we that You have given us a responsibility to guard the good deposit entrusted to us in the Gospel? Who are we to be given charge to guard holy things. God, help us never to become over-familiar with that. Help us to look at one another and to look at church life and to look at our fellowship life and care group and to look at what we have here as brothers and sisters in Christ as just so supremely precious that you have bound us together with cords of love in the gospel and you've called us to this wonderful responsibility to serve You. I pray that we would exalt You. I pray that we would proclaim You. I pray, God, that You would empower us by the Spirit to enjoy You. Lord, what good is it to have a feast in front of us and to not eat, Lord? What good is it, Lord God, for us to have it up in our heads but not be resting in it in our hearts? Oh, Almighty God, by the power of Your Spirit today, Bring your precious love home into the hearts of my brothers and sisters and to myself afresh today. And help us to remember how deeply loved we are by you in Christ. We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, by way of benediction, I just want to read the verses that I read in the beginning and pronounce this blessing over you because of what Christ has done for us. Listen carefully. Christ Community Church, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And He has.
The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Love you, church. Love you so much. Isn't he so good? (laughs) He's so good. Hallelujah.